Let's pray. God, thank you that you love us. God, thank you that you're good to us. Lord, I pray that you would show us more of yourself and help us to love you more. To choose to follow you with every thought and every word and every deed in our lives. Father, please speak to me and to us this morning. Lord, help us to not just hear and not just listen, but to actually take it in and be changed. Amen. If you could turn it up a little bit, that would be wonderful. No, I'm the No, it's fine. Excuse me while I just figure out Robin is standing at the back going, Give me the keys! She's upset because Peter caught the fish. Let's start again. Good morning, everyone. Okay, that's a bit better, isn't it? Has anyone here, just admission time. Yeah, you come to church, I'm going to embarrass you now. I'm going to ask you to put up your hand. Have you ever watched The Biggest Loser? Oh, we've got, we got a few guilty pleasurers at the back here. Uh, the Biggest Loser is an interesting TV show. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to all stand up and tell me what your BMI is. Uh, I would be embarrassed to tell you mine. Your body mass index. In, in other words, how obese you are. Um, but it's an interesting concept, The Biggest Loser. It's, it's about people who are overweight, severely overweight, going on a TV show, and the one who loses the most weight wins. I think that's what it is. I've only watched one or two episodes years and years and years ago. Says he, trying to sound better. <laughs> you're the biggest loser because you're the winner when you lose the most. You're the winner when you come in as the biggest loser. When it comes to our relationship with God, sometimes we come in with all sorts of weight ourselves. We come with baggage. Sorry. I don't want you to trip over. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Maria. Uh, and so often we come in, like Peter, with our weight being the results of our own self-expectations. Peter is a, a great character, the rock on which Jesus said he would build the church, but he's also an arrogant little so-and-so. If you are among the twelve apostles... How would you feel if you go to John chapter 13 and you're sitting there with Jesus and Peter and Jesus is speaking about, um, you know, betrayal and, and people running away and Peter pipes up and says, yeah, well, these losers might do that, Jesus, but I'm, I'm hey, I'm Peter. I'm a rock. I'm staying with you. Life, death, prison, whatever. Let's go. And I'm sure that won him the love and affection of all of his fellow apostles when he had that kind of arrogant attitude. But, but then something happened. Let's, let's listen to what happened. They say a rooster crowing is God's wake-up call. 
Yeah, that's, uh, at least that's the way it was for me. Everything that the whole night was a blur, right? Um, I didn't comprehend, none of us could comprehend everything that was going on, all right? We were all in the upper room, Jesus was washing our feet, um, then we were in the garden, Jesus goes off to play by himself. I fell asleep, I'm not proud of it, I had a big meal, bread makes me sleepy. Next thing we know, me, James, and John, Jesus is in our face, and he's trying to wake us up, and uh, he said, um, he said, uh, this is the, uh, the flesh is weak, the spirit is willing, and, and then before we know it, Jesus is kissing Jesus on the cheek, I tried to go help him, I cut off this guy's ear, for the record, I wasn't even for his ear, I'm a fisherman, I'm a swordsman. Then they, uh, they arrest Jesus and they take him off. And we, we ran. And it wasn't for two hours earlier that we were in the upper room. I was looking at him. I was looking right in the eye saying, if everyone disowns you, Jesus, I won't. I'm with you. I love you. And I think that's why we made me stop. Turn around. Go back. Jesus as they were taken to the high priest's house. He stood at the gate. And some girl comes up to him and starts pointing at him. Starts going, you, you're with him. You're with this man that comes to be the son of God. You're one of his disciples. I felt like every eye was on me. So I just brushed her off. Said, you don't know what you're talking about, you got the wrong guy. I get my way to the courtyard, and uh, it's cold, and I'm trying to warm up a fire. And then there's this guy that recognizes me, and he is uh, from the ears of it, you know, and starts going, Get him, get him, he's with him, just arrest him, get him. And I'm like, You don't know what you're talking about, all right? I wasn't with him. I ran so fast, I ran so long, 
Peter, <clears throat> speaking in that, in that enactment before Easter Sunday, three times he denied Jesus. And, and it's interesting that we've got four Gospels and they each bring a different slant and they each highlight different things, but in all four of our Gospels, we are told the story of Peter denying Jesus. And, and yes, it was wonderful. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. And Peter saw him and it was wow and it was incredible and it was amazing. It was special and fantastic and, and wow. And yet Peter still knew what he'd done. He knew he'd let Jesus down. He knew that he was a loser. He knew that he had promised so much and he'd failed to deliver. And that baggage was over his shoulder. That weight was on his shoulder. From that moment on when he looked across the courtyard at Jesus, having just denied him three times and ran away weeping, that weight of that guilt and that shame was his. On this rock I will build my church. On this rubble, maybe. I mean, perhaps Peter could have stuffed his guilt deep down. You know, compensate for his failure. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done something wrong and then you, you compensate or you overcompensate? If Taryn was here, she could put her hand up and say, I know that my husband knows all about this. If, if I do something wrong and then I apologize and I'm forgiven, that should be the end of it, shouldn't it? Oh no. No, no, no. It's coffee, tea, breakfast, flowers phone calls. Of course, I am unique in this. I know none of you guys ever overcompensate when you're feeling guilty, when you've got that weight hanging on you. Maybe, maybe Peter could stuff his guilt and his shame deep down and hide it so that nobody else knew about it. It's kind of difficult. Um, John is the one who got Peter entry into the courtyard. I reckon John's heard Peter, denying Jesus. News certainly spread pretty fast, but even if he had managed to hide his guilt and his shame deep down, Jesus knew about it. Jesus had looked across it. 
and Peter knew about it. Have you ever done that, where, where you've done something and you've got guilt and shame and you're just trying to repress it? Does it work? Does, anyone, does it work for anyone here? You end up just poisoning yourself, don't you? And, and it leaks out and, and, and you're short with people and you're nasty and you're rude and you just... You're a horrible person to be around because you feel horrible about yourself. I mean, Peter could have stuffed his guilt and his shame deep down, but but Jesus had said in John chapter 16 verse 22 that, that, that his disciples would, well, they would mourn Jesus, but then afterwards they would rejoice. Where is the joy that Jesus promised if Peter is just bearing this guilt and this shame and going on and, yes, Jesus, you're alive! And then in the back of his head, that little voice, yes, he's alive, the one you denied, the one you betrayed, you useless loser. We find here in, uh, in the passage that Fran read for us a bit earlier, John chapter 21, a bit of a rogues gallery. Uh, we find uh, the, the seven of the apostles on the shores of Lake Tiberias, which is also known as Lake Galilee for the normal people like you and I. Uh, most of Jesus' appearances, it seems, that, that are recorded in the Gospels are in Jerusalem. But, but Mark, um, in chapter 16, verse 7, uh, the message to the disciples is to go into Galilee where Jesus will be. And so, uh, they, some of them at least do go there. This is the third time that Jesus appeared to his apostles. He appeared quite a few times to various people uh, before his ascension. And it is an interesting collection. You've got two apostles who are so important they don't even get their names written down. I mean, isn't that interesting? You've got 12 apostles. Can anyone name the apostles for me? Bartholomew, yes, there's one. Anyone else? No. Thomas? Oh, you should. <laughs> Somebody knows Thaddeus. I mean, who else, who else here goes Thaddeus? Thaddeus is an apostle. Exactly. It would have been teased and everything. Two of them are not named. They're just there. We find also that uh, Thomas is there. And Thomas is an interesting guy. We, we know that he is the man who said, I will not believe until I see, which is a, a good thing. It's something that we are very grateful for. He's also the first to call God, or to call Jesus God after the resurrection. He looks at Jesus and he says, my Lord and my God. He's a convinced skeptic here at the lake. We find Nathaniel is here at the lake with him. Nathaniel from Cana. Uh, Nathaniel's an interesting guy. He's mentioned at the start of John's Gospel and at the end of John's Gospel. John chapter 1, we find uh, Nathaniel and he walks up and they say, Hey, we found Jesus. Uh, and, and Nathaniel goes, Uh-huh. Can anything good come from Nazareth? You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And he walks to find Jesus and Jesus says, Hey, Nathaniel, I, uh, I know you. You're a true Israelite. And Nathaniel says, Why? How do you know me? And Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree before you were called. And Nathaniel is the first, I, I think he's the first recorded disciple who says, Jesus, you are the Son of God. John chapter 1. The guy says, can anything good? And then says, actually, I reckon you're the Son of God. We find the sons of Zebedee. 
wonderful mummy's voice. The great story with their mother who, who went to Jesus and said, Would you mind if my son sits at your left and the other one at your right when you come into your kingdom? I don't know. I, I can imagine these two brothers sitting at the back and saying, Oh, mommy. Ah. One of them, uh, the beloved disciple who we think is John himself, the one who ran to the empty tomb, got there after Peter, but when he got there, he walked in and he believed that Jesus was alive. And then we got Simon Peter, the, the man who Jesus called the rock, the man who recognized Jesus as God, the man who Jesus in a few short minutes called Satan, uh, this, this upside down man, the, the one who denied Jesus three times. The one who's carrying the weight. And we will carry weight, but we're looking at Peter this morning. And he's there, and they're, I mean, they're, they're fishermen. Peter, the sons of Zebedee, they're, they're fishermen. Maybe the others know a bit about fishing as well. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. You know, we're waiting here. I'm going to do something constructive. I know this. I'm going fishing. Maybe it's just something to do. Maybe it's, it's something to, 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 just something you can wrap his head around. Maybe it's something to distract you. Have you, have you ever done that? When you're feeling guilty about something, you're weighed down by something, and you go, I'm, I'm going to distract from it, I'm going to go shop. Some of you might. And then your husband says, well, I'm going to have to do something to distract you now. Maybe it was a chance for him to think. Maybe it was a chance for him to just do something physically active. You, you know when you, you just wave down and sometimes you just need to go for a run, do something, burn out the energy, burn out the emotions. Maybe Peter just wants to get away from his guilt for a few minutes in some good company, doing what he knows how to do. And so often we try and distract ourselves from having to face the darkness inside of us. Because we don't want to have to face it. We don't want to be honest with ourselves. And yet what we need most is not to be distracted. What we need most is to be with Jesus. But it had been a stupid waste of time. Yeah, so much for distracting me. We didn't even get any fish. Or maybe, so much for a good night's outing with the mates, we didn't even get any fish. And then there's this voice from the shore that says, yeah, try the right-hand side. And then it's just like, hashtag wow, hashtag incredible, hashtag who is this man, hashtag John says it's Jesus, hashtag I'm in the water. Sorry, for those of you that don't know what a hashtag is, it's the cool kid's way of writing things up on the internet. Twitter. And Peter's a bit of a twit, so it kind of works. And we heard the story a bit earlier, Luke chapter 5, where Peter had been in the boat with Jesus, and Jesus was preaching as a sort of a mobile preaching platform, and they again, the night before, had caught nothing, and Jesus said, I'll go out a little bit further, and throw your net out, and I throw it out, and the net's tearing, there's so much fish. And, and, and that time, Peter just fell down to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, Go away. Go away, Jesus. I am so unworthy of you. I am a sinner. 
I don't deserve to have you in my boat. Would you just leave me because I don't deserve you to be near me? That's Luke chapter 5. That's before Peter goes on this journey with Jesus. That's, that's Simon. And the wonderful thing is that, that Simon said, Jesus, leave me. And Jesus said, ah, you join me. Well, we've been doing this, this topic of second chances and, and, and there we find Peter at the very start, Jesus comes in and says, I'm giving you a second chance, Simon. I'm going to rename you. I'm going I'm to make you into the rock on which I build my church. I'm going to make you an apostle. I'm going to make you a fisher of men, Peter. Or Simon at that point. And Jesus didn't leave him. And he did some incredible things with Jesus. And he saw Jesus do incredible things. And he came to the point of going, man, I've got this. I'm with Jesus. I can do anything with Jesus. I'm his number one. I reckon he was a bit arrogant. And then he blew it. And then he blew it. He, he had his second chance and then he blew it. And this time, interesting, it's John who notices that it's Jesus. Peter is just like, what? And this time, when Peter realizes it's Jesus, he doesn't do the whole fall to the ground saying, get away, Jesus, I'm a sinner. He, he knows Jesus by now. He knows Jesus is the one who doesn't leave when we say leave, who says, no, you come. And so he, he just wraps himself up, he jumps in the water. Is that right? It's about 100 meters. 100 meters from the shore. And he has to go back afterwards into the boat to fetch the fish. So this is Peter. He's, he's just in the water. He's swimming to Jesus. Sopping wet. Gets to Jesus. And instead of falling on the... He, he doesn't do the whole, oh, I'm a sinner go away. It's like, man, I need you, Jesus. Jesus, it's, it's you. It really is. It really is you. Because he knows that he needs the Jesus who doesn't leave when we think we, we should be there. And Jesus isn't there with a stern look on his face. He's not there with the, we're going have, to have words about that denial, Peter. This is Jesus having breakfast with his mates. As I say that, I'm, I'm actually thinking a little bit envious. The risen, resurrected King of all creation, through whom all things was made, who sustains all things, is sitting on the beach, he's made a fire, he's cooked some fish and some bread, and he's having breakfast with his mates. Wow. Tells you something about God, doesn't it? And as they sit around the fire breakfasting with Jesus, things are the same, but, but things are different as well. Verse 12 says to us that, that they all knew it was Jesus, but they also all wanted to go, who are you to Jesus? Because, I mean, we've seen this already. The resurrected Jesus is definitely Jesus, but there's something different about him. There's something a little bit different about the resurrected, the resurrected Jesus. 
But there's another way that things are the same and different for Peter. And it's interesting, Jesus hasn't just put driftwood together to make a fire, he's got a charcoal fire going on. And have you ever noticed how sometimes a sight or a sound or a smell can trigger a memory? The last time we're told about Peter being around a charcoal fire is on the night where he denied Jesus. The crackling of the charcoal, the, the heat as he feels it just there, the, the smell, you, you, you know the smell that you get from a charcoal fire, it's, it's that unique sootiness that clings to you and it just hangs around and, and there's Jesus. So, on the night where he denied Jesus, Jesus was over there being beaten up and being accused. And here's Jesus just sitting across from him. It's the same, but it's different. And Jesus serves them breakfast. He treats them with so much kindness, so much matter-of-factness. And I love the fact that he's done this incredible miracle with 153 fish. And different people try and say all oh, different weird stories what 153 means. I think it just means a lot of fish. But do you know what the really interesting thing is? Breakfast is already cooked! Jesus doesn't need that fish. He still says Peter is swam all the way 100 meters. The others are going... Oh, you don't get it, it's fine. We've got this kid. That's fine. And Peter gets the shore and Jesus gets into his fish. Peter has to go back to the boat and he gets the fish. But Jesus doesn't need the fish. Because Jesus is looking after them. Jesus is, is looking out for them. This is Jesus caring for them. He doesn't need us, but he still wants us to work with him. But we do have to come to the elephant in the room, that, that biggest loser stuff, don't we? And breakfast is over and everyone's relaxing. And you, you see old Nathaniel take out his phone and he goes on Twitter and he writes hashtag relaxing with Jesus on the beach. And somebody takes a selfie. Well, aren't you glad you didn't have phones back then? And Jesus looks over at Peter and he starts talking and I wonder if Peter goes, oh, is this it? Is this the, um, I know what you said, Peter, talk? And there is something formal about this. Jesus doesn't look at Peter and go, hey Peter, mate, let's chat. Jesus looks at him and says, Simon, son of John. We were talking beforehand about second names. Who, who here has got a second name? Well, who here has a longer form of their name by which they are not actually called? Isn't it interesting that when you were growing up and you got into trouble, all of your parents took the diminutive form of your name. And they used the nice short version. Rich, I'm very disappointed. I'm not allowed to say your full name, am I? No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> you're all thinking it. Simon, son of John. 
This isn't just a fireside chat. This is full name stuff. Do you love me more than these? And there's all sorts of discussion. What, is, what does Jesus mean? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than you love these fish? Do you love me more than you love your mates? But I, I reckon what Jesus is saying is, Simon Peter, Simon son of John, do you love me more than these others love me? Do you love me more than Nathaniel loves me? More than Thomas loves me? More than those thunderous thun- sons love me? I mean, that, that was Peter's boast, wasn't it? Even if all else abandon you, I will not, because message underneath, I love you more, Jesus. And it could be, there's two ways to look at Peter's answer. It could be that either he tries to avoid Jesus' real question, or else he answers it. Maybe Peter says, Jesus, you ask me, do I love you more than these other guys love you? Yep, I do love you more than they love you, Jesus. But if so, it can only be because Peter knows how much more he's been forgiven. That's possible that's what Peter means. It's possible he means I love you so very much, Jesus, because although I failed you, you have forgiven me. But, but I wonder if it's not also possible... Or likely that, that Peter doesn't answer Jesus' question. Because Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Simon Peter answers back and says, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. He doesn't say, Yes, Lord, you know I love you more than they do. It's just, you know I love you. Uh, let, let's not talk about the more than they do bit, God, because... Well, because I've, I've kind of messed up on that, on that score, haven't I? It's kind of obvious. Everyone knows. I don't. Either way, Peter does want Jesus to know, yes, Jesus, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And Peter is looked at by Jesus, and Jesus says, take care of my sheep. And again, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And again, Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And again, Jesus says, shepherd my sheep. And again, Jesus asks the question a third time. And Peter's feeling like, why are you asking me three times, Jesus? I just need you to know I love you. You know it. You know it. You know everything. I love you. And Jesus says, take care of my sheep. Take care of my flock. Shepherd. All, all of these different words that, that are used here. Jesus is just saying, Peter... If you love me, work with me. Take care of my, of my flock, of my people. Three times he says, Peter, do you love me? Three times. I don't know him. Get lost. I don't know him. Curses on me if I know him. Three denials. Three questions. Maybe this is Jesus deliberately addressing the elephant in the room. But, and I, I reckon he is. But you notice that 
At no point does Jesus actually mention Peter denying him. Not once. What he does say is, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And you and I need to hear this because Jesus, the resurrected one who has died and made an end to all of your sins and mine, does not stand and give us breakfast and then throw our sins back into our faces. Jesus never throws our past back at us. I mean, yes, sometimes there are consequences for things, but Jesus never stands and says, you dirty so-and-so, you horrible, despicable person. Peter, how dare you? I know what you did and it hurt. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't ask any of us about our past. He knows about it and he's dealt with it on the cross. He simply looks at us and says, I believe what he said to Peter, he says, do you love me? Or are you defined by what you've done? By who you were? Do you want to go by your old name? Do you want to go by your old self? Do you want to be defined by, by what you've done? Or do you want to be defined by just loving me? Maybe Jesus is even saying, are you still so sure of yourself? Are you still so sure of your boasting? Are you, are you still so sure that you can stand and be strong? And everyone should look at you and how marvelous you are? Or do you realize that that doesn't mean a thing? You have fallen, by the way. Though he doesn't mention it. You want to be known by that towering, crumbling edifice, or do you want to be known simply as someone who loves you? Ask yourself, do you love me? And Jesus doesn't stop with do you love me, he says, okay, you love me, let's move on. He gives Peter a job to feed and care for his flock. You know, so often we need to hear the story. Because the, the, the legal truth is that our sins have been dealt with at the cross. There is nothing that you have done or could do that has not been paid for at the cross. That little baggage that you're hanging onto your back that you're holding with the other one when you're doing the whole carrying a sheep thing, you've got so much baggage. It's dealt with. It's, it's gone. Jesus has taken it, the Bible says, and cast it. As far as the east is from the west, so far have our sins been removed. It's been dealt with legally, but, but we can still hold on to it, can't we? Jesus, I believe, simply says to us, leave that behind. Don't worry about that. The question that matters, all that matters. Do you love me? Do you love me? I've still got plans for you. I've still got my purposes for you. You are still mine. Do you love me? If anything, it's clear is that Jesus loves Peter. You don't... You don't go and make a delicious breakfast and hang out with uh, an enemy because, you know, it's so much fun to be with people who hate you. 
One of my favourite things about the resurrection stories is the angel's message to the woman. Where Jesus sends a message and says, Go tell the disciples and Peter to meet me in Galilee. And just that little word, and Peter. I mean, how much does Jesus love Peter that, that he says, Hey, this man's feeling perfect. Tell him I mentioned his name. You and I might have failed Jesus so many times. And I'm sorry to disappoint, but you will again. But the question each time has got to be only and ever this. Do you love me? It might hurt to have to question that. To have Jesus question that. It certainly hurt Peter. Why did Jesus ask Peter, do you love me? The last time Peter is a bit upset and says, God, you know everything. You know I love you. If Jesus knows everything, why would he ask Peter, do you love me? Not because Jesus wanted to find out if Peter loved him. I wonder whether Jesus asked the question because Peter needed to ask the question. Peter, all of this that has happened, do you love me? Well, I've, I've failed you, God. I'm useless. I've done Yes, I love you. Let's, let's get on. Just, by the way, do you love me? Yeah? I love you. Okay. Take care of my sheep. Do you love me? You know, you always kind of express the We need to stop and ask ourselves. Not, am I good enough for Jesus? Because quite frankly, we're not and He's loved us anyway. We need to stop and ask ourselves, do I love Jesus? And there's a realism about this, isn't there? It's not the boastful, I will do anything, I'm so good, I'm so fantastic, my love is like no other love, and all of you losers are pathetic because you can't love Jesus the way I love Jesus. That's old Peter. That's the Peter who's on the ground. But there's a realism that says, you know what, I love you, Jesus. I I just love you. The question is not, is your love for Jesus good enough? Is your love for Jesus high enough? Is your love for Jesus strong enough? That's not what Jesus says. He just says, do you love me? That's all that he says to us. Do you love me? And if I love him, then I will follow him. He says to Peter, follow me. If I love him, I will follow him. And Jesus still says that. He says, do you love me? Follow me. He doesn't say, do you love me? Well, how dare you because of what you've done. He says, if you love me, follow me. And there's no recriminations. There's no shaming. There's no parading you past everyone to say how terrible a thing you've done. There's just, you love me and that's all that matters to me. 
That is all that matters to God is whether we love Him or not. And yes, following Him might not be easy. For Peter it ended in death, the death that glorified God, a death like Jesus's. But what glorifies God is not necessarily death, it's, it's simply this, whether we're following Him, whether we love Him. You and I can be the biggest losers. You think Peter's bad, he denied Jesus two times. Next week you're going to hear about Paul. Now Paul was an expert in being the biggest loser. And if you think Paul's bad, well we've got more than tea afterwards, come and have a chat with him. We are the biggest losers, but you know what that means? We can be the biggest winners because Jesus loves us. And all he turns with the wounds in his hands, he sits there, he says, I'm caring for you, I'm looking out for you, I want to hang out with you. Just one question from the one who loves you so much. You stand there. Do you love me? Go on, let's go. Well, we might go, oh, no, no, I love you, but let's see what's going on. Hey. Do you love me? Yes.